Uh, good morning, everyone. I, I love coming here. Um, already, I've been prophesied to by Sumbo. I've loved joining in with um, you in, in singing of a future day, um, in, in, in participating in a future day when that glorious day when Jesus will put all things underneath his feet. You know, every great story has a great ending. Um, Cinderella meets Prince Charming and lives happily ever after. Rocky Balboa finally gets his outside title shot and becomes, uh, overcomes all the odds to become the reigning world champion. Batman defeats Joker and brings peace to Gotham City. Beast marries beauty and the curse is broken. And you know, Revelation is the, great, is the end of the story, um, of the greatest story of all time. It's not any old story, but it's a story that we are, have all been born into. It's a living story. It's a story that is still being told right now. When we wake up, woke up this morning, when we wake up tomorrow morning and go to work, we are living this story. And it's a story that will be told for all of eternity across the whole of the universe. It's a story um, that is all about Jesus. And you know, Jesus, he's the alpha and he's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. And in Revelation, we see all of the threads, all of the loose threads of the story, all of the plot lines that we, that we can trace throughout become a great climax. And in Revelation, God reveals the end of the story to us. He reveals how everything one day is going to be completely restored, how his kingdom will fill the earth. Um, let's just read about how this story is going to end. Turn to Revelation chapter 21. Uh, Revelation 21 verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Just as we read these verses, why don't you just allow your mind to wonder. Why don't you just allow yourself to picture and imagine what John is talking about here, the realities of this future day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, that's the place where we live right now, had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride dressed for her husband. You know, that similar language that Paul uses at the end of Ephesians when he talks about, you know, husbands being married to their wives. And he says, actually, that's actually a picture of Christ and his church. And so we see a picture of the church coming down out of heaven, prepared for Jesus and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. We can't help 
but remember the the tabernacle, you know, the place where God said, I'm going to dwell amongst my people. I'm going to dwell amongst Israel. And and then years later, the the permanent structure of the temple throughout the Old Testament. And and then many years later, the days that we all live in now today, the engagement ring of his Holy Spirit dwelling and living inside each of us. Um, And we see the ultimate fulfillment of that. God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. A fulfillment of a promise in Ezekiel. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you. But I find a yearning inside of me for, for that one day when there will be no more sickness. For that one day when there will be no more pain. For, the, for that one glorious day when, when everything will, will, will be under Jesus' feet. When there will be no more injustice in the world. Um, for that one day when sin and death will finally be completely defeated. We long for that day. We live to hasten that glorious day. That glorious day when suffering will completely cease and we will rule and reign with King Jesus. Do you feel yourself getting excited when you think about that glorious day? Let's turn then to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9. It's at the beginning of the book, and this book's written by, uh, by John, and he says this right at the beginning of the book. He says in verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Christ Jesus. Another translation would say, or that we share with Jesus or participate in with Jesus. You know, if you have a uh, paper Bible, um, you might, you might want to underline those words. Suffering and patient endurance. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm confused. (laughs) Where is John going with this? Because we just read that that at the end of all time, there will be no more suffering and there'll be no more pain. Um, But then here, John's writing and he's saying, actually, we're called to join or participate in or share with Jesus in patient endurance and suffering. Um, What's going on with this? Well, You know, I really don't like it when things don't go to plan. Um, For example, take the weather forecast. Um, Last weekend, I was hoping, longing, praying and expecting uh, to wake up to a foot of snow. You know, snow was forecast and I was thinking, uh, I'm I'm a maths teacher. So in my head, I was like, oh, imagine if I wake up in the morning. And it's like, you know, a foot of snow or two feet of snow and I can't leave the house and we get a snow day. What if we get two snow days? I was picturing playing in my garden with my three children and, you know, making snowmen and having snowball fights. And I thought, wonderful, it's going to snow this weekend. 
And then I remembered on Sunday morning when I woke up that we live in Manchester. And it never snows properly in Manchester. And I know we maybe had about a centimetre of it, but I was, I, I was disappointed. And that day I carried around a sense of disappointment that I thought it was going to snow, and it didn't snow. Does that, was anyone else disappointed? Some of, some of you will know that, that in September, um, I started a new job teaching in a high school. And one of my classes is a year 10 class. And um, I, I found them, you know, I've got some nice classes, but I've also got some, uh, this particular class I found really quite challenging. And so I thought, I'm going to make a plan. And so I planned my lesson meticulously. Um, I had all my resources prepared. I had rehearsed in my head how every stage of the lesson was going to go. I foresaw every possible distraction. And I thought, I've got all bases covered. I was a man with a plan, and I was raring to go. But then, 10 minutes into the lesson, and something happened that I had overlooked in my meticulous planning. A wasp had entered the room. Before I know it, I turn around and one of the nicest girls in my class was stood up, not stood up out of her chair, not stood up on her chair, but stood on top of her desk with her arms flapping, shouting at the top of her voice, there's a wasp in the room, sir, there's a wasp in the room. Before I know it, everyone literally is out of their chairs, um, shouting, screaming, stood on chairs, going out into the corridor. With all this chaos going around all around me, I kind of meekly let out of my mouth, will everyone just sit down? No one took a blind bit of notice of what I said. And in that moment, every teacher's worst nightmare, in my mind I thought, oh no, I have totally, completely lost control of this lesson. Um, but you know, that's what life can sometimes be like. Um, God, that wasn't in the plan. God, this isn't what I expected. Like, like when I remember when our middle daughter, Hannah, was born, and there were many prophetic words about her being a hearer of God's word and a speaker of God's word. And then suddenly, as when she, because she's three or four, as she becomes three or four years old, we realize she can't speak properly, and we realize there's some problems going on in her development. And then we find out when she gets tested that, um, that she's actually got a problem with her hearing, and she can't hear properly. And, um, and I remember in that moment, God, what about all these words over her life? That, surely, God, this isn't in the plan. What's going on? Maybe, maybe it's a prospective relationship that, um, that didn't materialize into a marriage. God, what's going on? Maybe a marriage, you're in a marriage, but things aren't as you expected or wanted them to be. Um, God, but you said. Maybe all those hopes and dreams for your children, and they're not even walking with the Lord right now. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you really don't want to do. Maybe God's promised you health and, and God's spoken to us about us being a center of healing and we're running after that word and we're speaking that word every single day and 
you're carrying a sickness and you haven't been healed yet. God, but, but you said. Maybe you're in a situation right now that you really don't want to be in. Maybe you're longing to see some of your loved ones saved um, and to come to know Jesus but they just seem so far away from him right now. Maybe there's a habit that that is getting in the middle of you and God that you long to break free from, but but you just don't seem to be able to break it. Maybe you're doing all the right things, but whenever you open the Bible, God just seems really distant to you and, and, and you can't quite seem to hear his voice very well. Do you know, John was writing into situations just like those. You see, he was writing to the early Christians uh, about 60 or 70 years after Jesus had died. And, And the early Christians had lived with this expectation that Jesus was going to return in their generation. Um, but it hadn't happened. 60 long years had passed and all those hopes deferred that sense of disappointment, that sense of frustration, those knocks, those regrets, that pain. And there wasn't even any signs that things were going to get better. You know, Christians then were were getting persecuted. Many had been martyred for their faith. Many had even abandoned their faith. And the faithful few, 60 years had passed. God, but you said... And so John writes into this context. You see, we live in an instant world. Um, Everything in this world, you know, is, is expected to be instant. Fast food, instant coffee, faster internet speeds that mean we save that extra two seconds. Upgraded phones. But God's kingdom isn't always an instant kingdom. You see, we live in the now but not yet. We know that God's kingdom has come, but God's kingdom hasn't yet come in its fullness. And we need to know as God's people where we are in this story. You see, Jesus has come and we can participate in this future age. But we also must realize that we haven't yet reached the end of the story. Um, Jesus hasn't yet brought all things under his feet. Everything that happens in this world and in our lives isn't always God's perfect will. And so we're a people, we're God's kingdom people who live in the middle of two ages. We're living in the middle of the story. Um, And so John's like, I want you to know where you are in the story. Um, We read in in Revelation then, it kind of picks up on a number of threads. In the beginning in Genesis, we read about um, a garden. And and what starts in a garden um, ends with this garden filling the whole earth. Um, We read about four rivers in Genesis that start in a local garden. And God's intention was always that those rivers would reach the four ends of the earth, the four corners of the earth. In Revelation, we read about a river that, that flows from the throne of God. And this river brings life to everything it touches. And, and we who live in the middle of this story, um, 
We carry this river. We carry this river inside of us. He's called the Holy Spirit. And, and everything that we touch and everything that we come into contact with, we can bring the life of God. We read about a serpent. Have we got a slide behind me? Um, we read about a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And, and this serpent opposes everything um, uh, of the will of God. And we read about a promise that one day this serpent will be defeated. And in Revelation, we read about that great serpent getting completely and utterly defeated. But as God's kingdom people, we can participate in that day here and now um, in defeating anything that opposes the will of God. Um, And in Revelation, um, Revelation is full of, of symbols and imagery and poetic literature. We read about, um, there's talk of a beast, there's talk of numbers and marks, visions of dragons, the tribulation. And many people have been distracted with many of these things over many years. Um, but essentially, the story is about Jesus and his people. Um, and what will happen at the end of the story And how do we live in the middle of this story? So the next few chapters of Revelation um, uh, is, is Jesus writing a letter, um, writing seven different letters to seven different churches. And um, we read this Jesus. Um, we see a picture of him. And, and this Jesus, he's not like meek and mild Jesus. This Jesus is awesome. We, we, we read about it in Revelation 1 that this Jesus has got a sword coming out of his mouth. That, that his eyes are like blazing with fire. We read that his hair is, is white as wool. This is a Jesus that, that is not to be messed with. This is a Jesus who is awesome. This is a Jesus who is the ruler of the whole universe. This is a Jesus that every knee will one day bow. This is an awesome Jesus. And this Jesus, we read, stands amongst seven lampstands. And, and, and as soon as we read seven lampstands, it reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus referred to his church and, and, and he referred to his church as a lamp on a hill. And he encouraged us as the church to, to take our light and to let it shine in front of all the world. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And, and he writes letters to the churches who are Facing difficult situations. Are you facing a difficult situation? Maybe you're going through stuff. Jesus has got stuff to say to us. You see, when we're in the midst of stuff, this is what we can sometimes feel like. Um, have we got a, a slide behind me? Um, there's, there's a primetime TV program that's currently on. I don't know if you know it. It involves celebrities going out into the bush, um, living in the wilderness. And it's presented by, by two presenters. Anyone know who they are? Ant and Deck. And, um, and, and the program is called I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. Um, and, and, and in this program, these celebrities, they go through something called bush tucker trials. And they have to do things like eat spiders and have worms crawl on them and all different horrible things. And, you know, 
Do you ever go through trials in life? Actually, in John 16, it's actually a promise of Jesus. Jesus said, you know, uh, us Pentecostals, we love naming and claiming the promises of God over our life, right? Well, well, did you know a promise of God is that Jesus said, you will face many trials and sorrows in this life. Um, I don't like to name and claim that one too much. Um, but you know, no, Jesus promises it. And, and, and sometimes, I don't know about you, I go through a bit of a bush tucker trial. And, and sometimes I can say to God, God, I'm a Christian. Get me out of here. God, I'm a child of God. Get me out of here. You know, I know how to, to declare my rights as a child of God. And uh, God, I'm a Christian. Get me out of here. But you understand, you understand that, that Jesus has got a far greater purpose than just getting us out of the world. You see, Jesus' purpose is to send us into this world. Did you know that, that, that if you're facing difficulties right now, you're probably in the center of God's will for your life? Um, did you know, you, you know, God wants to transform your workplace, that place that's really hostile to God, that, that place where, where actually you know, people sneer if you talk about Jesus, that place where maybe there's a bit of bad language, that place that's just really negative. God says, I love that place. I love those people. I want to change and transform that place. What shall I do? I'm going to send you. I'm going to send my child into that place. God wants to transform our streets and our neighborhoods and our communities. I'm going to send my children into those dark places. Um, I want to, uh, and so when we go through stuff, guys, just know that Jesus has sent you. He sent us to transform our world, to transform our families, to transform our households, to transform our streets, our neighborhoods, and our workplaces. Um, And much of of Revelation, you know, um, records a struggle. Um, You could say that Revelation was a book of struggles. We we, we see a struggle between a beast that signifies, by the way, everything that opposes the will of God. Um, and we see a struggle between him and the lamb. A struggle between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of our God. Two systems and, and, and thought patterns colliding. And we find ourselves caught up in the midst of this cosmic struggle, this cosmic battle. And you know... Do you know what the struggle is? The struggle is for us to live this life filled with the love of Christ. Um, You know, and I don't know about you, but I I often listen to preachers, I read the Bible, and I'm like, yeah, God, I'm going to put your love on display for everyone to see. I'm going to put my light to shine, Jesus. And then I get in my car on the way back from church, And as I'm thinking, God, I'm going to put your love on display, someone cuts me up. (laughs) And you know, there's a struggle in me. Am I going to put the love of God, the love of Christ on display, or am I going to react the way I want to react? You know, the struggle 
to lay your life down. We all, it all sounds, sounds amazing when we're worshipping. God, I'm going to lay my life down. I'm laying it all down for you, Jesus. But then actually, you know, your week starts and, you know, suddenly the crunch comes and you're like, actually, this, this thing, it's, it's really hard to lay my will down, actually, because I've got quite a bit of pride and I don't want to lay it down. And, and actually, I'm not sure that this self-sacrificial love thing, it sounds really great, but it's really hard to put into practice. And, you know, the struggle to live a holy life in a fallen world. The, the struggle to say, Jesus, even though everyone around me might be compromising, I'm going to shine bright for you. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to look at that thing on the internet that everyone else is looking at. I'm not going to talk like everyone else is going to talk. I'm going to get up a little bit early to spend time. I'm going to live a different life, Jesus, to the life that people live that don't know you. You see, guys, over the summer, um, me and Joe, we celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary. Um, and and we, had a, we, we went to Rome, and we had a wonderful time. And, and when we were in Rome, we visited a place called the Colosseum. And, and if, you, if you ever go to the Colosseum, you, you just, as you walk in, you just are struck by the place. And as I was walking around, I thought, wow, the amount of blood that this arena must have seen. The amount of blood that must have spilled onto this very ground. You see, this place here was the scene of many battles. It was the arena that many battles took place. This was the, a, a battlefield that had seen many, many things. Did you know that this place, the whole earth, this world, is an arena for battle? That, that actually, like whether, whether you're on a sabbatical or, or whether you're on holiday or whether you're in work or out of work, whether you're in a church meeting or out of a church meeting, whether you're just really going for it right now and involved in church life or, or whether you're maybe taking a bit of a step, whatever season you're in, we never get to go off the battlefields um, because we've been born into this cosmic arena uh, at this battlefield that we're in right now. Um, I, I remember a program my stepdad always used to watch, The World at War, um, about the Second World War. You know, we've all been born into a time of war, and, and we can't run away from it. And, and there's a war, did you know, raging inside of us um, for our affections. Who will we love? Who will we serve? What will we worship? Who has your heart? What are you passionate about right now? Because many things are fighting for the affections of your heart. Um, you know, there's a battle going on for our loved ones, for our neighbors. There's a, there's a battle going on, you know, um, for those who don't yet know the Lord. There's a battle going on for our world. And we know that... That at the end of the story, Jesus wins. And, and we know that Jesus kind of has, has already won. But we are those who live in the middle of the story. Um, we live in the middle of this story. You know, we all love it. We all love it when we're seeing salvation and miracles. And everyone we pray for gets healed. And things are all going well. But what about 
you know, when, when you're going through a bit of a tough spell at work. Uh, what, what about when your prayers seem to be taking a really long time to get answered? What about when serving in the church just starts to, to feel a little bit like hard work? You see, life here on earth is not about having as, as little struggles as possible. Um, life here on this earth is all about struggle, but it's all about us as God's kingdom people bringing God's kingdom through our lives. You see, how we live between Jesus first coming and Jesus coming back again is really, really, really important. Your life counts for something. Your life matters. The decisions that you make have eternal consequences. Just think about this, right? No one knows the day that Jesus is going to come back. Um, the, the Father alone knows that day. And, and yet we're told that little us, you know, can hasten the day of his return. Do you know how, how much significance your life is um, and how we live our lives? If you're going through stuff, John can understand. John himself was on the island of Patmos and, and he'd been exiled there because of his faith. Things, he was going through stuff. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane and he said, God, I don't want to have to go through with this. God, surely there must be another way. <laughs> Do you ever hear that voice in your heart? When God calls you to something and, and you hear those voices in your heart and you're just like, God, there must be another way. I don't want to go through the cross. You know, I don't, I don't, it's painful. I don't want, there must be another way. There's got to be a, a way to bypass this. And yet Jesus is our great example. Um, you see, in our struggles, in everything we're going through, um, God is like the master tapester. He's like the master gardener. You know, you know, many things even happen in this world that aren't God's will. But even those things that aren't God's will, God is so good at weaving everything so that everything works for the good of his purpose. And let me tell you what his purpose is, by the way. His purpose is that we as his children would rule and reign in this life and throughout eternity. Um, God's working and weaving every single thing, even the bad things that come from the enemy, God is working and weaving in everything. And you see, like, um, I'll finish with this. My son Aaron, um, he's five years old, and he has no context, you know, of bigger things in life. So we go on holiday once a year, often to France, and we drive down to France. And you know, I'm driving the car, so I understand the journey. And as I'm driving the car, I know, I have a picture in my head, we're going down south through the country, and then we get to uh, Portsmouth, we get a ferry, then you go over, and then I know we're in France, we've got another two hours driving, and then we arrive at our destination. Aaron has no idea. Aaron's just like, one minute we're in England, next minute, Daddy, are we in England or are we in France? And, 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 and now, anyway, he, he realizes when we're in France because he has pan au chocolat and croissants for breakfast. Um, the other day, we were in our house in England, and we had pan au chocolates and croissants for breakfast. And Aaron said, Daddy, uh, are we in France? <laughs> and, um, but you understand, 
in his in his little mind, in his mind, he has no framework in which to pin our journey to France. You know, you understand, guys. If we have no theological framework in which to pin things like patient endurance or or, or long suffering, um, God's known as long suffering, by the way. But, you know, if we have no, or if we have to wait for things sometimes, if we have nothing to frame, to pin those things into, then we'll get frustrated, we'll get disheartened, we'll get disappointed. Um, But if we realize, ah, actually, this is normal, this is normal. John, John writes this book to people in our situation. Let's just read what. The last words of Revelation say to us. Revelation 22 and verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Hear the words of Jesus today. Yes, I am coming soon. Yes, I will put all things right soon. Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. You know, in the words of amazing grace written by a man who at the end of his life had lost his physical sight. This man was a slave trader and then he met Jesus and then his life turned around and at the end of his life he wrote this. He said, through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that have brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. When we've been here 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we'd first begun. C.S. Lewis, the writer of Narnia, once said, all of their life in this world and all of their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one, Of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.